Paul Tejera has been one of the winningest tarpon guides in the Florida Keys, successfully completing wins in all three major tournaments, the Gold Cup, the Golden Fly, and the Don Holly. Also, he and the late Jim Bocar caught the winning bonefish in a $24,000 Calcutta winner-take-all with a 15-pound fish. Paul's been a great friend for a long time. We won five tarpon tournaments together and he even came out to Aspen, lived in my home, and became a snowboard instructor. He lives life as full as anyone I know, a true inspiration to all. I hope you enjoy his story. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double-lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. The more I get to know Cubans, the more I like them. <laughs> your, your heritage is an awesome, you know, heritage. Um, I don't know very many Cubans, but the ones I do know are effervescent. They're funny. They're full of life. And they're just great people. And you've been a great, great friend for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to get started off by you know, your family's heritage in Cuba, you were born there. Take me through that, those early years and the, the exodus that your family and all these other Cubans had leaving Cuba once Castro took over and in, in, I think it was in 59, early 60s. Right. Uh, as you know, I, I know what I've been told uh, because I left when I was four years old and um, my, my father had moved to Cuba uh, after high school in, in New York, in Brooklyn, where he grew up. And, but that's what, a weird transition right there. He moved from yeah. New York to Cuba. Why? Yeah, my, my grandfather was a photographer and he had a photography studio in Cuba and in New York. Okay. So he, he was familiar with Cuba from all his travels going back and forth. And, uh, when he graduated high school, he decided he wanted to go to Cuba and that's where all the hot chicks were, you know? <laughs> so, um, he moved, moved to Cuba and, uh, and ended up marrying my mom and then having me. And that was um, right during the Castro change over. And by the time I was four years old, they had decided they saw the writing on the wall and they were able to uh, leave on a commercial flight and take uh, one piece of luggage with whatever they could put on it and $500 cash. And they left all their possessions. They left everything else there. The apartment building that my grandfather owned and a photography studio. And, you know, they had a good life there. And, and they left and came to Miami. 
Same same story as Chico. Very very similar. His family is very wealthy. Yeah, you know, just without the Mercedes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he came with a Mercedes. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so so then, how did you? What was the transition like? How did you get into fishing? Well, um, pretty funny story. My dad really hated fishing, and didn't think fishing was even an option. We played baseball, and I played baseball straight through uh, college. And every day, my dad would be playing catch with me and hitting baseballs. Because that's like the national sport, right? It in was. Cuba? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Right. C- certainly. And um, and we and he coached my my teams and all that stuff. So he was very interested and very in, involved with me and in, in my growth, but not in fishing. He really disliked fishing. So uh, one day, he just thought he had two sons, uh, me and my brothers, five six years younger. And he's, uh, he said, well, you know, I, I should take my son's fishing. My, so I was, that's what fathers do. I was 10 and my brother was younger. And uh, he, he went to the bait and tackle store on Tamiami Trail and he bought a cane pole. And the cane pole came rigged with a bobber <laughs> and a hook. And we didn't have extra hooks. I mean, just One hook. whatever. That's, yeah. that's what came with it. So, uh, and, a, and a little box of worms. And we went on to Tamiami Trail and I put the cane pole down and eventually I caught my first little bass that was probably about eight inches long, nine inches long. And I flipped out. I just absolutely freaked out. I was like, damn, this is what I want to do, you know? And I'm fishing with a cane pole and whacked this thing up on the shore, you know? I had no, there was no grace to it whatsoever. And, and it just, I just got overwhelmed by it. That largemouth bass changed your life. Changed my life. Completely, completely. And my dad changed my dad's life because now he had to take the boys fishing because all I wanted to do was go fishing. That's all I talked about from that day on. It was, take me fishing, take me fishing. I got to go fishing. And, um, and of course, him not liking it, it, it became kind of a... <laughs> Contentious thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's like, let's go play baseball. And, and, but where was your mother? What role was she playing with your... So she ended up going on one of the trips um with us and loved it too so she's the one that ended up taking us fishing like when i was 12 or 13 um i was fishing all the lakes around south miami area and um but we had discovered rickenbacker causeway and that's where the mackerel were and that's a whole nother thing you know catching saltwater species that actually fight and run and you can catch on artificial so i kind of progressed into that and she would be the one driving us um, to the bridge because my dad hated fishing. And so, <laughs> and, and then, um, so I would be there and she would learn from some of the old guys there. They, they would take her under her wing, under their wing and say, you know, this is how you fillet a fish. And this is how you catch the snappers down here. And, and we made a day of it on Saturdays or Sundays. And, so it became and, a food source. Uh, it definitely, definitely brought fish home. And, uh, and it became the thing to do on a weekend, you know, when, when it wasn't baseball season. So So you were reading all the magazines and trying to gather yeah. as much intel as you could and you were just hooked. I was hooked and um got my first boat uh by the time I was fifteen and and had some some pretty good adventures on that aluminum uh what were some of the adventures? Aluminum John, John boat. Well we'd go, you know, um we would go out and when I first I, I didn't have a car, obviously at fifteen I couldn't drive. So I I had this idea that I wanted to fish Flamingo and my uncle had taken me to Flamingo a couple of times on his boat. 
and I kind of knew the area a little bit and I was starting to learn it. And, um, and my dad, you know, would, would just like, no, I, I could just spend a whole day out there with the mosquitoes and all the stuff. And, and so, so I said, okay, look, just take me, drop me off and then come back and get me the next day. You know, he goes, what are you going to do? I go, I got tents. I can camp. I can, you know, set it up. I'll take my brother, you know, and he can come with me and he can learn. And, and sure enough, he would drop me off on a Saturday morning. We'd get up early. He'd drive my, my rig down uh, with my aluminum boat with a 25 horsepower. And we'd go and put it in the water. And we'd go to exploring Whitewater Bay, uh, Shark River, uh, all the stuff out front. You were free. Free. Free to do whatever I wanted to do. Set up our tent right before dark. Um, and sometimes I was by myself doing this. And then, um, and then he'd come on Sunday evening and pick up the boys and we load up the load up the trailer and and go home and i'd sleep the whole way home you, you know, know what that's just... really awesome in the fact that a lot of fathers in today's society would never allow their kids to get too far away from home just because of the elements now it's right. a different world it is i remember growing up in aspen i was like 12 years old and i'd go and, and our house was right, right on the road to maroon lake <laughs> maybe even younger, maybe like 10. And I'd get my fishing stuff because I was a freak for fishing. And I'd stick my thumb out and I'd hitchhike up to the lake. I'd spend the whole day at the lake and then I'd come down. And then eventually I got a piece of visqueen. And they told me that there was a high mountain lake, you know, called uh, Willow Lake. And it was kind of up and around this corner. And like when I was 12, I had a backpack and I'd backpack up into this lake and spend the weekend up there by myself under this piece of visqueen, and when it would rain, I, oh my God, it was terrible. No sleep, soaking wet, shivering my ass off, you know, and you'd wake up and you'd try to make a fire, but there's no firewood, you're above tree line, and everything's wet. But that's what we did. And we had parents that allowed us to go out and, and be adventurous, knowing that this is part of growth. And unfortunately, you don't see a whole lot of that anymore. No, no. No, you don't see that much of that at all. In the Keys, you see that to a degree. Um, uh, you, you definitely see that the kids, we, we've got some of the best fishing kids right now that, that I've ever seen in the Keys. The, the young kids here, it's hard to even compete with them. They're um, so good. They're so good. Now, what and are they doing differently? Because you know nothing, these spots better than anybody. Yeah, but not, yeah, it's not even knowing those spots. It's, they're, finding out newer ways of catching fish in different places and and not traditional old school spots but they're 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 figuring it out and they're spending all their time fishing and how old are these kids now 16 to 19 to 20 some of some of them are starting to guide now right Polly Polly Ross yeah fantastic kid but you know what's interesting too is they're not specific to the backcountry or to offshore they do it all they do it all right it's like it's like Richard Black yep Richard Black does it all yeah, <laughs> it's funny because does it all great. Yeah, <laughs> Jerry Raskob says, you know, this guy's unbelievable. You know, I can go catch this and that, and somebody might catch a grand slam, but this kid will go offshore and, and catch a sailfish and maybe a marlin and catch a big grouper and then come back in and catch fourteen bonefish, mm-hmm. a hundred fifty pound tarpon, and uh, <laughs> a twenty six pound permit by noon. Right, you know? right. He says he's like the new Ralph Delft. Yeah, 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 I'm I'm sure, and and Polly Ross is right in in those steps too, and you know you're hearing a lot of new names, but I think that right now, even before Jared's day, because um, he was great 
as a kid also. But, um, and, and we all knew it. But now I think there's a whole crew that has seen the Jareds of the world, right, come, come up and, and be successful, be on TV, do all the great things that he does. And, and then they're inspired. They, they know it's possible. Sure. And, and a lot of their dads are charter boat captains. So they're offshore so guys. So they, they have a DNA, yeah. you know, the whole family. Um, you, you, you tell a story about, you know, your boat and you started going offshore. There's one particular story I'm thinking of, and you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. It might have it might have been the last straw that that broke the relationship of fishing between you and your father. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had talked my my dad into buying a boat um, before I got my own, and uh, and he um, he bought this old boat that you know didn't run very well, and the motor broke down all the time. And when it did run, we finally got get out and go out to Fowey Rocks off Miami and start deep jigging. I had read about deep jigging and and putting down a jig with a whole ballyhoo on it and putting it down you couldn't put down um, a full bait down to the bottom in 120 feet of water without getting bit by something by something yeah i mean it was so full of fish uh we had caught uh well after that i caught african pompano and all kinds of great species sailfish and everything doing that same technique but um so on this particular day we we put down i put down a jig and hooked this fish and I had never caught an offshore fish before and I'm fighting it you know 20 30 minutes on this you can imagine old gear in uh in the 70s early 70s and and the the tackle wasn't very good monofilament lines with tons of stretch and I'm fighting this fish getting finally get it close to the boat and now I realize it, it's a it was a bonita and you know, not a big deal. But it's a blue marlin in your eyes. Yeah, it was like a blue marlin for me and uh, at the time. And uh, and, he, and the Benita's coming up, and my dad takes out this gaff. And I had never seen a gaff before. And I guess he read a little bit, too, and knew enough to buy a gaff. So he had this shiny new gaff, and he, he was prepared to get this fish in the boat for me. And goes over to stick him, and as, he, and as the fish rolls over, he sticks him, and and doesn't do it quite hard enough and it just pinches him and the fish like zooms out and the line touches the gaff and breaks breaks the line and i was like oh my god man you you lost my fish that was that was the biggest fish i ever had on you know and and from that moment on and and i must say the whole family chimed in on this you know so they they were all um on him like oh my god what did you do how did you do that and it it, it wasn't much you? it wasn't much longer before he bought me my own boat and, <laughs> and that was the last me, time you fished it and sent me on my way <laughs> it might have been the last time yeah, yeah so what tell us about the fishing what was fishing like on your john boat when you went down to the to biscayne bay and flamingo back in the olden days i mean how how good was the fishing it was it was really good it was um you know most most of us that lived in the miami area um kind of started off in the stiltsville area um, like bob as, branham as, as far as yeah, yeah i'm sure bob did too and um and rob fordyce and all the all the guys that uh that that i knew growing up in that area um and we would fish stiltsville and every flat from stiltsville to soldier key was a tailing bonefish flat at whatever tide was a good tailing tide they all had different depths and you had to kind of know the tide but you could find tailing fish on every one of those flats. And I mean, a lot of them, uh, you know, you could look, look across and see them. There's mutton snappers behind rays, common, 
common. There were so many mutton snappers in those channels. If you wanted to jig them, you could jig them. And so, yeah, you know, it was it was much better, of course, um, than than it is today. But um, we all we all know it's not like you were going to go out there and just catch all the bonefish in the world. It was still a little bit specific. Oh, and they were they were still hard and they were bigger fish. They weren't little fish. Um, uh, We didn't have uh, little fish that I can think of, except for maybe over in the the western part of the bay. Um, anywhere from, from there to the upper keys. How did the fly rod come into your repertoire? Um, in that John boat, I guess I was 15. I lived in the same neighborhood in South Miami that, um, Ralph Delph, uh, had grown up in, Fluger. Um, Chico, Fluger, um, uh, all those guys, all, all the guys from the old Miami rod and reel club, Stu Apt, um, everybody grew up in the same same area, General Kendall, South Miami area. And I had read about them in magazines and the fly fishing and all that. So I started on my own with a fly rod. And I look, I look back or I think back at those times and I think, man, I really couldn't cast that good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't very good. I kind of slapped it out there and, and caught, caught my first bonefish on fly out of my John boat. And I was by myself and I was really, you know, talk about being excited that would that really uh, i caught the bug there and then of course by then i was already exploring the keys right and and kind of fit, putting the whole map together from miami to key west and and the flamingo area did you learn all this by yourself or did you have a buddy like was rob fordyce a, a friend that you guys explored together so, with or who? so rob was 16 when uh because he's 10, 10 or so years younger than me. So Rob was 16 when he and I started exploring, but I was already in my mid twenties by then. But, uh, Rob and I learned Hell's Bay together and we learned, uh, a lot of Key West together. Uh, and we would go off on trips and he, at 16, he was as good as any of the guides were at that, at that time. I think he I mean, became master angler. He was at a very young age, he was right? master angler of the Met tournament unguided. Right. So um, he did that uh, with a bunch of uh, different people right. that, that surrounded him, taking him to different places. Uh, but he himself knew as much as anyone. Tell me about living with Rob. What was that like? <laughs> I mean, I can only imagine. So you guys were roommates for a while. So we're, we were roommates for a while. When Rob started guiding, um, he had just uh, finished his uh, uh, baseball career at the University of Tennessee. And um, he... He got injured and he called me on the phone and, and he's like, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm leaving. Um, and I said, well, get your license, come down here and start guiding with me. I, I was living in Isla Morada renting a house and, um, and, and I said, you just come down here, we'll get business, you know? And um, so he came down, we rented a house together. Before that, we rented a hotel, um, like a two, kind of a two bedroom hotel room. Um, and, and, um, and so we, we basically, um, our, our day consisted of getting up early to go fishing. That's how it started. We'd go back and we'd take a nap. We'd go work out. We'd go to the gym every day. And then we'd go out to dinner and we'd stay out till about three in the morning. And, and there, just, there was no partying going on. There was, was a there? lot of partying going on. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a great time. Uh, Rob tells me a story where he was, cause he's always been a big hunter. Yeah. 
tell me the story. Wasn't there an alligator involved at some point in your relationship? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're roommates in, in, um, in Isla Morada, and uh, we're renting a house, and our, our rental is upstairs, and we made a makeshift gym downstairs so we wouldn't have to go to the gym. So that eliminated one of the trips. We had more time to go out at night. So, um, And I was, uh, I was out on a date. And uh, I knew that it was a rainy day. We'd canceled our trips. Rob had stayed home to tie some flies. And he was fishing a, a guy named John Tevitz, um, who eventually won the Holly with him and a great plastic surgeon from Texas. And Tevitz was a little nuts, you know, and, and Rob was a little nuts too. And they decided on this rainy day to go up to Tamiami Trail and, um, and shoot stuff. And so uh, they went, they went, and I'm not going to give any details so nobody gets into trouble of where they were and what they did. But, um, but when I came home uh, from my date and it was still raining and nasty out, it was 10, 10 30, 11 o'clock. And I have this somewhat strange girl in the car and, and we, we, pull up to the driveway somewhat strange in what in what way <laughs> well no just i didn't know her well okay all right <laughs> at this time and and so as we pull up to the driveway there's an alligator in my driveway and i'm like what the hell is an alligator doing my driveway and um she's like take me home get, i'm out get, get me out of here <laughs> take her home i come back throw a rock at the alligator because it's kind of posed in a weird way. And I throw a rock at it. It's like, okay, it's dead. So I walk up and I'm, I'm already thinking, oh, what, what, what do these guys do? You know, what, what's going on here? And, and so dead alligator in my driveway. So I go upstairs and here's Rob passed out. And Dr. Tebbets is in one of, one of our bedrooms. And uh, I said, uh, Rob, what's going on? He goes, <laughs> he's just, you ain't seen nothing, man. He said, look in the fridge. So open up the fridge. There's Ziploc bags of another alligator already cleaned out. Beautiful um, fillets. fillets ready for the, for the grill. And, um, and I can't tell the rest of the <laughs> story because people will kill me. Um, <laughs> and, and so, so uh, anyway, it was a, it was a free for all. And and they went shooting stuff, and and but I, but, I, but I can only imagine that your life with Rob was kind of like that on a daily <laughs> basis. It was, it was, and and we both, you know, we both were um, learning a lot, uh, but at the same time knew a lot. So we were kind of and having exchanging a lot of fun. fly ideas yeah. and uh, knots and everything else that we were doing. So, and then you know, obviously, you all both of you went on to win all these tournaments, and you know make a big life uh, here in the Keys. Yeah. Um, I remember when I first met you, I think uh, Flutie had just finished his f five wins with Harry Spear and then- Four. Or f four with Harry and then he was, he'd fished with you and then you you won. I don't know how we got hooked up, but it was the greatest hookup ever. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, so like, many ways. Like, I'm Andy. I'm Paul. You want to fish? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you became a brother for yeah. the last twenty some years. Yeah, yeah. You sure. know, you came out to Aspen and lived with me out there for a little bit. Um, 
which was really kind of hysterical in in many ways. But um, I gotta say got to that teach, fishing got with to you, teach snowboarding because of you. <laughs> but you, but fishing with you was was really so wonderful and cool because in my first years I was always going into the Lower Keys fishing down there with Harry and 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 Hoover had just started coming into play, but I'd never fished the back like we had fished together. Right. And you opened my eyes to the Cape and the, and the dark water fishing and what we did. And I'll never forget on two occasions, I remember we were in the back and we caught a fish, but it was a spot where this is a spot and I, I don't see anything, but you guys know the structure of the bottom so well, you know where they travel. <clears throat> one particular tournament we were fishing in, there was a big massive storm and we caught a fish on the inside of Craig, Craig Key there on the inside and we had to run north, we ran north and we're on this point and I said to Paul, I said, we're looking, I can't see anything, there's nothing, it's bad weather and I said, do they come right here? And you say, they're gonna come right here. <laughs> and this little bird on my shoulder said, well, they're gonna come right here, put your fly right there. And so I just started flipping my fly like this, maybe a 10 foot cast, just kind of rolling it in there and looking everywhere for a fish. But I wanted to have my fly. I thought if they're gonna come here, he might be able to see my fly if it's in the water. Right. They're not gonna bite it if it's in my hand. Yep. And sure enough, like three minutes later, <laughs> I, I got one. And, oh, we caught an 85 pound fish or whatever I it think was. that was the winning fish in that tournament. Yeah. So, the but, lucky horseshoe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't it great? Yeah. It, it's. It's that great. never happened. I've witnessed, I've witnessed so many great lucky moments um, that, of course, that he's made his own luck because he's there and the fly's in the water and it's in the right place and it moves the right way or whatever. But things have happened that you go, oh. How'd that happen? Man, how'd that happen? T yeah. Tell us a story about an ocean reef one tournament and you guys saw a fish coming <laughs> from far away. Well... Oh um, my God! This is the end. This is the end of one of the uh, one of the golden flies. Right. We yeah. And it was it was late. It was when golden fly was after the gold it was cup. In, it was in late, late June, June. Late June. Not very many fish around. So we're up, you know, Caesar's area up there, and you can um, see forever. And perfectly clear day. And Andy and I had uh, had really really gotten into the Red Bulls at that. We time. We were chugging Red Bulls. We were chugging Red Bulls, and you know, in between. Uh, You're bored. Well, there's no fish coming. So there was no fish coming for hours. We're waiting on the tide to change. And we're, we're sitting there and um, started chugging. I, I think we each had three Red Bulls in a, in a row. And that was in, the beginning of in, the Red Bull chase. In, in boredom. And then all of a sudden, uh, I see a fish. I see a, a group of fish coming. And I'm like, Andy, here they come. They're, they're there 400 yards away. You know, here they come, and, and I start casting. And he starts casting. You know, and Paul's going, "Wait, we got okay, okay, slow we, down, stop. Wait, gotta, wait, they're three hundred yards now." Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how we caught a fish out of that group because I was so friggin' out of my mind. And we did get the winning fish out of that group. Wasn't uh, there? Wasn't yes. there a lightning storm too? You guys were fishing in, and they were swimming oh, and God, green mangrove. Oh, that was crazy. That was crazy. That was when we didn't win. Um, that. Uh, we're we're at Green Mangrove and and lightning storm comes 
all the boats had gone in. You can see them racing. You can see the storm come, lightning coming. But we had but never f- seen more fish in that spot. Fish are coming. Ever. Fish are coming. And Paul's going, we got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. We're going to fucking die. And the push poles, you know, staked out. And Paul's trying to hide under, you know, you know, the I mean, pulling platform back there. Lightning's crashing on each crashing. side of the boat. And I'm on the pulling, uh, the casting platform. I'm, I'm ripping. I, I'm casting and ripping. I'm going, we're going to get one. I, mean, I said, if we fucking die, we die. Exactly. What a great way to die. <laughs> and, but the fish, how, the fish too were running for cover. And, I never got yeah, a bite, but and we, we were in it. How could you think that a fish wouldn't bite under those conditions? It's like, it's blowing 20. It's, you know, everything's covered and he's all in them. <laughs> yeah, we were. And that was the days of the toad. We, we were sure we had it. Oh man, you know? we, we caught so many fish. It was just so, it was just so magical fishing yeah. with you. Cause you know, all, you knew all this new country that I'd never seen and fishing with you has always been so much fun. And then it evolved into our relationship coming out to Aspen. I remember, you know, Polly wanted to come out, you know, and see Aspen, you know? So tell us that's your first trip to Aspen. Yeah. You yeah. With Jono or, uh, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! So yeah, as um, as younger single guys, um, I had my buddy uh, John Yusko, who was the um, Burton snowboard rep uh, out in Colorado, and we were all snowboarders and loving it. And we have a, I think there was a week where I I called Andy and and he and I said Andy, uh, you know, want to go out there? Why don't you come join us? You know, let's have a good time. And he's like, Oh, I can't go, but. You guys are welcome to use the house and um, have at it. You know, you got the whole place to yourselves. And so we, we check into the the mill house and um, we kind of uh, settle in and go into town. And we're just gonna crush it this week. You know, we got we got the we got the crush setup, crush what crush anything in sight. You know? And and so we're gonna go. Um, uh, we got the the setup with the house. We had the Range Rover to drive into town. We're we're styling right. So we get into town and we go. We go to um, oh, I forgot of that little Italian restaurant downstairs. Costeria. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was Hosteria. called something different at the time. Yeah, it was a different name. Then. Yeah, but it's the same place. And you go downstairs and we're sitting there and JY and I are discussing what we're going to do. You know what? I'm going to tell him, hey, we're going to go to this club or that club uh, for the evening, and we look up to the side and there's a poster right next to us on the wall and it's gay ski week. <laughs> so did you go clubbing? We saw, we saw the, the you ran to the club. We saw literally the writing on the wall. It was like, this is going to be a, a different week than what we expected. So we just snowboarded a lot and had a great time. Had a great time. Just, yeah. I remember when I was going through my divorce and I was all curled up in a, a terrible mess. You came out and lived with me that winter. And I remember Paul coming back and he would, you would go into town and uh, you became a snowboard instructor for the for yeah. a couple of months out there. Yeah. For Snowmass uh, Snowboard School. I remember you coming back. I can't afford these chicks. <laughs> this, is, this is a high rent district out here. <laughs> Correct. But I remember too, you know, driving around in the snow, you know, <laughs> coming up out of town. I had this this suburban, and you know, we, it's, driving up to snow uh, to Starwood was always. Let's see how many times we can ricochet the back of the of the, of the vehicle off the snowbanks. You know, it's the, one of the windiest short roads that um, I, I believe is in that area, and and it was icy and cold and. 
we had just come into uh, come out from town and going back to the house and Andy puts that suburban sideways up the mountain just on purpose and for sure i was literally wanting to climb out i said stop this car no no way no 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 no, don't do this no not again you know (laughs) we had so much fun a lot of fun well let's get back to the fishing again um Mm -hmm. tell me about that early phase when you just started to get into the all tackle i mean that one year you were just on fire you won the gold cup the all tackle uh, you won a $15,000 bonefish one day, winner take all, $25,000. Yeah. Tell me about that. So we had a, a good run there uh, going. We had caught um, uh, in that, in that $25,000 tournament, it was um, a $2,000 entry fee. It was kind of like a big gambler's day. Um, one day of fishing, biggest bonefish takes all the money, um, takes the twenty five grand. And um, Jim Bokar and I uh, teamed up. And we had already won the all tackle. Um, and uh, we, we would go out there the first flat in the morning. You got you to pick a flat right, right away in the morning because there's 15 other guys trying to do the same thing you're doing. And so the whole downtown at the time was filled with, with boats. And we're within casting distance of some of the other boats. So we pull up to my favorite bank, start drifting it. I pull just a little bit, see a tail come up. Tail, it's three feet of water, you know. And I said, well, must be a big fish. He tosses the crab out there. And in this tournament, you could fish as a guide also. You're fishing as a team um, to try to get the biggest fish. And so Jim says to me, he says, cast, cast, put your cast on. I go, no way. I was afraid that I would mess up his great cast because he had put in just the right place he was an awesome fisherman and we were throwing crack crabs you know all, all this is all uh, it's an all tackle tournament sure so everybody was using bait and spin and um uh he, he puts it out there and that fish tails up on on the crab and that drag just started screaming fish ran longer than i've ever seen a bonefish run and he went belly up right after that like just whoop, just Died. I'm pulling my ass off, you know, get, to get there, pulling as hard as I possibly can. And when I got up there, basically I grabbed the net and scooped him, put him in the live well. We already knew he was big enough. Um, but when I put him in the well, I realized that it looked like he swallowed a softball. His softball in his gut was was huge, you know. So we um, took him in to weigh him in. And this is 7.30 in the morning, first cast, first cast in the tournament. Going to weigh him in, he was fifteen eleven. Wow, largest still to this day largest uh, fish caught in a tournament, uh, bonefish, and um, he um, we weighed him in, and unfortunately we couldn't get any good pictures. We got one stupid picture on the way out because we're trying to. He's got to swim away right. in order for the to, the to fish count. to count. So um, back in the live well, aerators. We had you know the best in the aerators that we could we had three aerators going mm-hmm. at once and take them out and watch them swim away and that was it we, we got one stupid picture of, of that fish but um but it was great great to do it and and we uh we as we go by the other boats on the flats because we, we go back to the spot and we sit there you know we, you're not even fishing we don't even have how to are you gonna how are you gonna match that yeah, there's no way you know and and we go by Cockerham and molar and all the guys that we're, we're fishing in the tournament and um, I believe Brewer was in that too 
and and we um and they they're like how big because they want to know they what, what they're one. up against and i go 15 11 and their heads just dropped it was over and actually cockerham in that tournament did catch a 14 and that um, was a twenty-five thousand dollar fish twenty-five thousand dollar fish how much do you get of that i i got i got 12 12 you split yeah, it with 12 you. five yeah oh, awesome that was our that was our deal and um and the next day i left for colorado go snowboarding it was like my celebration that's <laughs> and you ended up winning the best of the west yes not on that same trip but that same year that sure. summer yeah yeah that was a that was a great year <laughs> and, and my daughter was born so all, all those things happened you know so the best of the west is a, a fly casting contest at the denver trade show and it's distance it's distance within a six foot uh pond yeah and you just smoked those trout guys, didn't you? I smoked them. It was it was crazy. It was it was one of those things that was just meant to be because they were all fired up. All the sage uh, casters and the um, Scott Rod guys and all all the different manufacturers had their guys there that were their show casters. Right. And um, you know they're the kind that when they go to a contest, they strip out their line and they put their line in a pattern. So that there's no least, friction coming off the floor and all that. I didn't know about any of that stuff, you know? So, um, yeah, they, they were all there and Steve Ray Jeff was not there. So everybody had a they chance. All, they all felt like they had a chance to win this one, um, without Steve taking it all because he wins just about every one that he's in. And, um, and then here comes Paul Tahara from Isla Mirada and, um, kind of smoked them actually. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's so good. You know, it's funny because most Western, trout guys don't have to cast very far so when they think they can come to the keys and catch a tarpon and go bone fishing they get out here and it's 20 mile an hour winds you go to the bahamas and it's blowing not many people understand really how to double haul into a wind and how to stop that rod and, and penetrate that tight loop out there you know? right and, and then put us in a convention center where there's no wind right and it feels so nice you know that you can you can do that how'd you get into golf i mean you, you played tennis there for a while i know uh, yep. Pretty seriously in my twenties, and you got really disappointed thinking that you're going to play with my ex-wife at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead Nick, of Chris Everett, Nick, you Nikki, get... Nikki was was the excuse, I think. Um, believe it or not. So, yeah, you're supposed to uh, you're supposed to set up this match with me and Chris and Chris Everett, right? And um, so when we got back from fishing one day. And I think it was one of the one of the days that uh, you and I took her on the boat that morning. Oh, and she and she asked to go in. Oh no! Remember, we were in the. <laughs> we caught two pigs. Oh my God, day. Nikki, we're in. The <laughs> and so and so, your mom has never seen fly fishing before, right? How many tennis balls have I watched her hit over the years, right? So we're in the. <laughs> this is like where the where the big where the fat guys live, you know. So we're sliding in there. I'm on the bow. Paul goes, okay, you got one going to the right. You see him at about 11 o'clock sliding to the right. You know, chucked it out there. I get this fish on. Well over 100. Goes flying through the air. Boom, boom. Falls off the hook. Might have broke him. Might have broke him. I'm shaking. Fell on my tip. I'm shaking. Not a word is said, right? I I tie on another fly, and I'm still shaking. It was such a big fish. I was so excited to show your mom that I'm the I'm the man, right? <laughs> so we slide down towards the creek. Here comes another fish. Slide it in there. Boom, I hook him up. <laughs> oh, boom. Oh, boom. Going over the horizon falls off the hook. 
The only thing that was said was your mom said, you're not very good at this, are you? <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, we, we, we drifted 200 yards. And, fucking, and well, we're two, excited. We're excited we as hell. We flopped two fatties. <laughs> so we had this big tennis match set up, you know? Yeah. She Probably was, wanted to take on your mom. Yeah, I wanted, you know, I, I felt pretty good. I'm, you know, probably 30 at this point or something. I don't know. Some, somewhere around there. And um, and I said, I said, I, you know, I played some tennis. I went. I want to say that at least I played her, right? Yeah, I wanted to. I want to see what what she's got. So we set it up for a Chica Lodge, and you know we're we're gonna go and at two o'clock in the afternoon or whatever it was, and I get to the tennis court and I'm sitting there waiting, and in the distance I see your dad coming, and I'm looking. He's looking no. for Chrissy. He's like, no, she didn't send you in, in the place. <laughs> no, and and so. And she, you've got your headband, your sweatband, I'm everything ready, I'm ready, man. I'm he, ready. He, he I, I want to take pictures, you know. <laughs> he lost his wood. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, I said, no, there's no way. You know? and, and he said, yeah, she, she's got to take care of the kids. <laughs> so She was get t- getting a fly tying lesson. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got into golf big time. Got into golf for a while, and, uh, and I'm still into it. I think it's a lifetime thing. And right. Because my dad, my dad played a lot of golf, and so you know, so how how do you go now? You know, you you've had all this these great experiences in your life. You know, you're a sportsman, you're an athlete. Um, fishing was huge there for that that good window where you won a lot of tournaments, bonefish tournaments, all tackle tournaments, fly tournaments, obviously the tarpon tournaments. Is there is there a slide out of out of the enthusiastic aspect of, of fishing and guiding because you became a realtor recently, do you still yeah. have a passion to fish or are you getting a little bit burned out? Love to fish and, and I love being out there. I think I like it more now than I even did before because I don't have to do it as much. And so instead of guiding those 275 days a year that I had the grind going and, and doing that, and, and it didn't feel like a grind at the time because, you know, 40 and 50. And what you're working. Everything's you great. A job. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's, and it's fun. And most days are, are really good. I have, happen to have great clients. And, you know, guys like you on the boat, we, we won. We, we won. And, yeah. and, and we'd catch fish. And you could, you could kind of show off at the end of the day that, hey, we did, we did something cool today. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's not any less exciting. It's it's very exciting, and I've got a, a, still a great crew of guys that um, that were a, a lot more laid back and and just appreciate catching a fish. And it's not a numbers game anymore. It's just a, a matter of you know, let's go get you a nice tarpon today, or let's go, let's go enjoy the yeah, day. And let's go enjoy this. And we're not trying to kill all the species and you know get one of each and right. get back and run all over the place and do all that. No, it's just a matter of <coughs> Just enjoying the day and having a good day with my guys. What, what would you tell a young, a young kid who's aspiring to be a, a flats guy in Alamorada in this day and age? You know, they, a young kid now, um, he's got to be really good. Um, he's got to be very passionate to very get Very passionate, yeah. We, we've all, we all have that passion for, for stuff. And obviously everything I've ever done, I've done because of a passion for it or wanting to get better or compete at it. You know, and um, the compet- the competition is is great. But for the young guys now, like like we said, those young guys coming up are fabulous. So 
um, they've got a lot to live up to. You know, it's it, it's tough. Would, would you encourage it? Oh, yeah. It's a great lifestyle. Let me ask you, has, how has Instagram and Facebook changed the game? Oh, if it has. It definitely has changed the game a lot. And um, it's it's kind of... For the good or for the for the worse? Well, well, for the good in the fact that um, that the exposure is there, so people know about the fishery a, a lot more, of course. But um, for the bad, mostly, um, I think, because it, you know, it's a competition and it, it, it's mishandling a fish too, possibly because of all the photographs. Definitely, a lot of photographs out there that um, I object to, but. But, you know, I've been guilty of it in the past, too, because back in the day, we, we were doing that also, you know, not, not to the degree now. But, right. um, you know, some of the guys are posting daily, daily videos, and, um, and some of the guys are feeling that, oh, God, if I don't post a fish, they're going to think that I'm not catching anything. You know? That I suck. I'm not one of those, but right. I, right. I kind of feel like I don't, don't do, need to. Do you remember... I mean, this just came to me because it's been a long time ago. Remember that time that I grabbed that fish and you were taking a photograph of me with this big old tarpon on the bow of your boat? So here I yeah. am. We caught this really big fish. It was probably 130 or 140, yes. something like that. It could be any number, but it's a <laughs> big fish, and I got a hold of him. And we caught fish pretty fast. I remember one fish on the Cape when we first started fishing in the first tournament. I hooked this fish, and I know it's not going to go. It starts bouncing, but it's not running anywhere. I said to Paul, get your, get your gaff out. I'm going to get him. And Paul says, no, nah, these fish fight hard. And I said, he's coming to the boat. And like right now, he was floating, and he chewed through and got away. Uh, so we were catching fish quickly. So when you grab them, when they're still kind of green, there's a lot of power. Mm -hmm. And I think we were out by nine miles somewhere in that, in that, that zip code and we, I caught this really nice big fish. I said, I want to grab him. So a big fish, I used to always throw him in the boat, you know, grab you. It's a, the ego right. Sh shot, right? So I grabbed this fish and I'm holding him up and Paul's taking a picture and this fish started thrashing. And this fish threw me out of the boat. <laughs> I saw that photograph. You just see the half, <laughs> half in, half out. I was you got, you got my, the bottom of my feet <laughs> and the fish is still in the boat. <laughs> It's like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, the yeah. fish took me down. It's, it, yeah, it's amazing. Took me amazing down. What can happen? God, we've had so many, so many good times <laughs> together over the years. What um, <clears throat> can you forecast a little bit, possibly, what you're going to see down here over the next ten, five, ten years? Well, that's hard to tell this year with the the whole Corona thing. Um, uh, how that changed because we we happened to have uh, a great time for a couple of months when the keys was only ours again, and it was just a few guides out fishing and uh, we had all the fish to ourselves for a while and and it worked out fabulous for us. And then when they opened up the doors again, everybody was let in. It seemed like tarpon season ended early this year because they they were here early. The weather was too early. good too yeah. early in February and March. Yeah. Yeah, and that's when there was no people here, so it, it worked out good. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm always an optimist, and I always think that, you know, nature has a way of, of adjusting Healing. to different things. Yeah. And, um, and I just think that uh, people are being a little bit more careful, but we are, we are getting uh, an influx of more and more guides from all over the, 
all over the place, as are other places. We're, sure. not, we're not the only ones. Louisiana is experiencing it right now. Um, and so is the Panhandle. They have more more guides than they've ever had at any of those places. And there's guides coming in from other and they're other And they're seasonal. And they're they're seasonal. not living here full time. Correct. Correct. They're, they're out of town guides and they're either renting a place for the season or... Um, or they're using friends' places and things like that. But, but I've also seen, you know, being in the real estate business at the same time, I've also seen uh, a lot of these guides buying places here. Mm-hmm. And, and it is happening. Uh, so, so they fall in love with the keys and they buy a place here. And now they're a resident. They're no different than any of us that came from different places. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, and so, you know, it does happen and, and it's, it, it can, is, it's it can evolution, be a good thing. you yeah. know. But yeah. uh, it's all good. I mean, I'll never stop fishing. I know you won't. No, no. Anyway, you're a wonderful family member. <laughs> well beyond a friend. Yeah, no, that's for sure. So thanks for, for sure. thanks for joining us and sharing your, your wonderful life. My pleasure. My pleasure. You guys are Paul, great. thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank We're you. Gonna I go. love hanging with you. Now, yeah. I don't know. We're going to go play tennis now. These two are going to play. I'm going to kick his ass. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to see. Or die trying. <laughs> yeah, we're going to see what happens now. He's going to try to make up for years of uh, um, of not, not being able to play against a family member of yours. So, yeah. Thank love you, you man. Thanks, so much. guys. Thanks, thanks, Paul. Pleasure. Thank you. Paul Tejera is truly young at heart. Every day is a new opportunity for fun and adventure. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a huge favor. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.